Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. Then they led him away to crucify him. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. And Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Uh, we're glad you've joined us for our Good Friday reflection on the death of Jesus Christ. Now, studies estimate that 5% of all prisoners may in fact be innocent. It's believed that each year up to 10,000 people may be wrongly convicted of serious crimes in the United States alone, and that 340 innocent people may have been executed since 1973. How does that happen? In a first-degree murder trial in 1984, Glenn Ford was sentenced to death for the murder of a Louisiana jeweler. He spent 30 years on death row, and then new evidence emerged proving he wasn't in fact the killer. He was released, and he became the longest-serving death row inmate to be fully exonerated before his death. Tragically, he died of cancer a year after his release. The lead prosecutor, a man by the name of Marty Stroud, wrote an honest apology in the local newspaper, saying this, I was 33 years old. I was arrogant, judgmental, narcissistic, and very full of myself. I was not as interested in justice as I was in winning. Now, I think that ambition drives some of the wrongful convictions. Negligence is responsible for others and prejudice and bias are usually a part of the equation. Is that what happened to Jesus? People have asked me about his death. They wondered, could they have really gotten it so wrong? Where there's smoke, there's fire, people say. Maybe Jesus wasn't as innocent as Christians like to suggest. Understanding why Jesus was crucified is crucial to understanding the message of Good Friday teaches us something about ourselves, and it teaches us something about Jesus as well. So turn with me, if you would, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 1 to 15. 
If you don't have a Bible, pause the video and get one so you can follow along. I'll start in Mark 15, uh, start beginning in verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This is the word of God. Now the scene opens early in the morning. Passover would begin that evening, and so Jerusalem's leaders would typically be engaged in religious preparations for this holiest of celebrations. But today was different. They weren't writing sermons, counseling pilgrims, or organizing worship. Instead, they were preparing for the rush execution of a prisoner. They had arrested him the previous evening and held a secret trial in a private home in the middle of the night. Not exactly a recipe for justice to be served. But why did they do it? Pilate was convinced it was envy or jealousy. In verse 10, he suggests releasing Jesus, and it says, For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. You see, Jesus' growing popularity meant less popularity for them. His claims of authority threatened their authority in Israel. His miracles and healings only showed their lack of power. And his criticisms of their hypocrisy undermined their standing with the people. They were afraid of what they might lose. Ever feel like that? I think something similar happens in our own lives when we feel Jesus challenging our attitude toward our relationships or our money or our plans. Our sin doesn't appreciate him meddling, and we can try to silence him as they did. When you're quiet before Jesus and his word, are you afraid of what you might lose? Are you afraid of what he might ask you to give up? While the religious authorities seem to be motivated by what they might lose, the crowd appears different. Their thinking seems less sophisticated. They appear for the first time in verse 8 asking for a favor. It says, and the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. What he usually did for them was release a prisoner. 
Pilate offers to release Jesus. But in verse 11, it says, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. It doesn't say that the crowd was educated by the priests. They weren't persuaded by the priests. It wasn't so much that they learned that there was a strong case against Jesus. They were just stirred up. They were riled up with some shouts and emotion. And maybe you felt the same thing at a Raptors game or a rally of some kind. But remember what's on the line here. According to verse 7, Barabbas had murdered someone in an insurrection. And based on some pressure and emotional appeals, they were ready to release him into society and have an innocent man condemned instead. Even then, though, Jesus' sentence is still up in the air. When Pilate asks, asks them what to do with him, they start shouting, crucify him! When they're asked to give a reason, they can't come up with one. They just shout louder. As we consider the fact that the Son of God was crucified, it should sober us to realize that it happened because people were swayed by the crowd. There's no indication they had given serious theological examination of Jesus' claims. There wasn't any deep reflection on his miracles. There wasn't an investigation of eyewitnesses to his ministry or character. A bunch of people just got worked up on the basis of some emotional appeals. They just started shouting what everyone else was shouting. Now that should trouble us at any point in history, but surely no more than this one. Social media has ushered us into the age of mob rule. We don't like to read anything longer than 140 characters anymore. And if we can help it, we'd prefer not to have anyone, not to read at all. We like celebrities to give us our information. And we don't listen to anyone who disagrees with us anymore either. We surround ourselves with a crowd of people who think like us, and we can become extremely gullible and uncritical as a result. Has the shouting of the crowd made you believe what everyone else believes? Have you stopped listening? Have you stopped thinking? Because that's exactly how Jesus was crucified. Even though the religious leaders wanted Jesus crucified because of what they might lose, and many wanted Jesus crucified because they were just swayed by the crowd, Pilate was the only one with authority to actually call for the crucifixion. Why did he go along with it? By verse 10, he's interrogated Jesus and listened to the accusations of the religious establishment. He's come to the conclusion, Jesus is innocent. He senses that it's a power play, and he's looking for a way to avoid getting caught in the middle. So he suggests releasing Jesus. But at that point, the crowd shouts him down. He can't determine the sentence because he found, hasn't found Jesus guilty of any crime. So he asks the crowd. He wants to know, what will it take to satisfy them? And in verse 12, he says, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? When the crowd demands Jesus' crucifixion, Pilate sounds genuinely troubled. In verse 14, he asks, Why? What evil has he done? But he doesn't get an answer, just more shouting and emotion. And verse 15 gives his response. It says, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, 
he delivered him to be crucified. Now, what would it take for you to release a murderer and put to death an innocent man? For Marty Stroud, it came down to arrogance and ambition. Pilate wasn't like that. He just seemed to want to keep everyone happy. He didn't act out of conviction or principle. He wasn't swayed by reason or evidence. His response to Jesus was purely political. What will keep everyone happy? Is there any Pilate in you? Are you afraid to act on what you believe because of what people will say? Do you tend to sort what you hear through the filter of what people around you like? Do you have an inner politician that's more interested in keeping people's votes than seeking God's approval? Jesus was crucified because some were afraid of what they might lose. Some were swayed by the crowd and some wanted to keep everyone happy. But I don't think those are the only reasons that Jesus was crucified. Another person in this passage played a decisive role in Jesus' crucifixion. He says just four words in the entire account. In verse 2, Pilate asks whether Jesus is the king of the Jews. And he answers him, you have said so. Now, it's a difficult question to answer, and Jesus gives a nuanced response. In one sense, Jesus is the king of the Jews. He's a promised Messiah, the son of David. He's come to rescue his people. But he isn't a king in the sense that Pilate is worried about. Jesus has no political ambitions. He's not looking to form a government. He's not staging a coup. And so he just answers, you have said so. And it's the only charge that sticks. It's what, it's what is written as his only crime when he's nailed to the cross. Jesus, King of the Jews. But no, notice what happens after that. In verse 3 it says, And the chief priests accused him of many things. Now when most of us are accused by people, we fight back. Even if we maintain our composure, we tell our side of the story. Jesus does neither. He does nothing to mount a defense. Pilate's never seen anything like it. And in verse 5, it says, Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. And the question we have to ask is, why? It wasn't because Jesus had a problem with words. We know that because when he was just a boy, Jesus amazed people in the temple with his understanding. When his critics attacked him, he confounded them with his responses. People marveled at his wisdom and were amazed at his ability to speak. So why on earth is he silent at this life or death moment? Unless, of course, he wants to die. And of course, that's the answer. Jesus is giving his life as a substitute for sinners. As Jesus is given up for cru crucifixion, a convicted criminal walks free. An innocent man is condemned as a guilty one is pardoned. Jesus' life is given in exchange for another. And that's appropriate because the very reason that Jesus came was to give his life for sinners. He died on the cross for our sins. All of our guilt, the punishment for all of our evil was transferred to him and he died in our place. That's the message of Good Friday. 
And so when we ask why Jesus was crucified, it's true in part that he was crucified because some were afraid of what they might lose. It's true in part that he was crucified because some were swayed by the crowd. It's true in part that he was crucified because some wanted to keep everyone happy. But the main reason, the main reason that Jesus was crucified was that he wanted to save the world. He wanted to die that we might have life. And the amazing and unfortunate thing is that there are people all over the world today who will celebrate the death of Jesus Christ. They'll mark this day as Good Friday. They'll take part in the religious remembrance. And yet there will be many who never come to Jesus for the eternal life that he offers. When you put your trust in Jesus, you're pardoned the way that Barabbas was. When you call Jesus your Savior and Lord, your sins are nailed to that ancient cross and reckoned as paid in full. If you haven't come to him, I'd urge you to do that today. But if you have, then learn from the lessons of Good Friday. Don't repeat the mistakes, mistake of those who paved the way for Jesus' death. Don't live your life in fear of what you might lose. Have the courage to follow Jesus no matter what it costs. Believe that the things that you may have to give up are nothing compared to what we gain in him. Don't live your life in this way of the crowd. Learn to read the scriptures for yourself. Learn to seek God for discernment. Learn to get out of the echo chamber of your own crowd. And finally, don't live to keep everyone happy. Make it your goal to please God. Look to him for your acceptance and security. And keep your eyes on the one who died to save you. Let's, let's look to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we don't understand this love that Jesus showed. We don't understand the grace of someone willing to go to the cross to pay for the sins that we should pay for. We don't understand this, this mercy that, that seeks to pardon us. And yet we see it all through scripture. And by faith, we turn to you, we receive it. I pray, Father, if there is anyone listening who hasn't come to Jesus for the pardon that he offers, I pray that they would look to the cross. They would look to Jesus's death on their behalf. And by faith, I pray that they would trust in him as their savior and Lord. In repentance, I pray that they would turn from their sins and have the, the weight of those sins roll off them and experience the freedom of the children of God. Lead in each of our lives, Father, and help us to follow you with courage, with faith, with confidence, and more than anything, with gratefulness for all that you've done. We praise you for Good Friday and for all that Jesus did at the cross in our place. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to see 
the love that drove Jesus to the cross. He died in our place because he wanted us to have life. And if you have questions about how you could enter that life, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, then share the link and spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.